Tea Time, Midlife Edition. It's not a coffee break. It's tea time. Slow down. Relax. It's your turn. Welcome, 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 welcome. Turn the tea kettle on. Pick your favorite tea. Grab your favorite teacup. Let it steep. Add what you will. Find a cozy spot. It's tea time. Midlife edition. Welcome to Tea Time Midlife Edition. I'm your host, Regina Young, and today we are lucky to have Liz Craven. Liz, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, you're so welcome. Oh, Liz, I'm excited to have you here because I know that you are the publisher of an Elder Care Senior Resource Guide, and you're a podcaster as well, like myself, but for Sage Aging, and yeah. I can't wait to hear all about it. But before we get started, Liz, what yeah. kind of tea are you drinking? Today, I am. I have to be honest, I'm not always a tea drinker. Being in Florida, I it's that. a bit warm, and so warm tea isn't always the go-to. However, mm-hmm. we've had a cold snap, and so, you know, I, I brought some of that cold weather back from my trip to New York City, and yes. it's a bit chilly today. <laughs> so today, I have a raspberry tea with some local honey. Oh. And I'm drinking it in my cup that I got. This is a mug that Lovely. I got from the Senior Connection Center, which is our local area agency on aging here in Central Florida. And I thought that it was just very fitting, given our topic, um, that I use that mug today. Plus, it's just one of those mugs that fit right in your hand <laughs> and the warmth feels so good. <laughs> I totally get it. It's that it's that cozy mug feeling. So you're getting a little bit of a lucky break. You're getting that that uh, fall weather in Florida, which rarely happens. So yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, today I'm drinking surreal tea. Um, that is a awesome tea that is uh, that strengthens the immune system and improves digestive system. It actually actually boosts the level of um, energy. And it increases circulation. But, you know, check with your herbalist or doctor to make sure it fits in your right regimen, okay? But let's get started. Today's topic is gray tsunami. Are you ready for it? Uh-huh. <laughs> what is a gray tsunami? Like that's Oh, gosh. Tsunami. I've never heard it before. Well, gray tsunami is is a term that's used to kind of refer to the fact that baby boomers, who are a very large demographic, are turning 65 at the rate of 10,000 people per day. And that by the year 2030, the number of people who are in the age demographic of 65 plus will outnumber the number of people who are 18 and younger. So we're kind of, you know, flipping the script on on the demographics that we are made up of here in our country. And the reference to gray tsunami is, you know, this is coming whether or not we're ready for it. Yes. And 
are we going to be able to care for people and make sure that everyone is taken care of um, as, as we are a more aging society? And that's a big topic. <laughs> I, I got that. It's a lot of different areas to go down. Look, uh, you know, I'm clear that whew, I'm one of the baby boomers. I got to mm -hmm. be straight. I mean, 2030, I should be looking to retire or something. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, I guess baby boomers are, it's not their fault, but they are part of the, uh, the, the problem, let's say. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I hate to refer to anything like that as a problem. I get it. You know, we do have issues and we do have some obstacles that we need to overcome. But it's really it has to just be a shift in the way our society looks at our situation. Because, oh. you know, if we if we go way back, let's go years back when culturally and in most societies, it was very normal for older adults to live with the younger generations of their families. Yes. You know, that's kind of the way it was. But as the baby boomer generation came in, you know, they kind of really, they forged their own path. And, and all of the norms that were there were kind of thrown to the wayside and they said, but we want to do it this way. And oh. they waited a little bit longer in their careers and they, um, you know, they kind of bucked the system and, and rather than live locally where your parents live, people started moving away to other communities. Oh. And so that created a situation where that family unit that would stay collectively and care for their aging loved ones that almost became impossible for some families because you might be spread across the United States and have mom and dad living in one place and then it becomes a very difficult situation. And so people have had to learn to navigate that along the way. And I want you to understand that I don't believe that it's a bad thing Got that it. people have grown in a different direction. It just is what we are. And yeah. so given that we have to adapt what we expect of families and as families, we have to adapt what we expect of communities as it relates to caring for our aging loved ones. And there needs to be a meeting of the minds and kind of a meeting in the middle. So yeah. as, as communities, we need to make sure we're focused on making our communities age friendly so that people can age in place. Okay, got that. Thank you. I, I, I really get that, that it was an intergenerational living in the past and things mm -hmm. just shifted. And um, yeah, we're definitely uh, all spread all over. Yeah, I actually moved back from New York to be with my father after my mother passed away. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, that definitely I see how it works. But not everyone does that. They, you know. Just, right. And not everyone can. Yes. You know, I, in an ideal society, we can all just take care of what we need to when we need to. But, you know, people people have to work and people have to support their families. And it's not always possible to make those moves. That's fair to say. Is there an infrastructure in place for, you know, this gray tsunami that's coming down the pipeline? I would say no. Um yeah, that's oh, kind of scary. That's lightning. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that we have the base for it, but if you look at what happened over the last year and a half or so with COVID, um, some vulnerabilities were really exposed. And those of us who work in the industry already knew that they were there. And it was no surprise to us that there would be a shortage of caregivers, both in the sense of... Um, 
in assisted living, um, healthcare facilities, in all of those places, but also the types of caregivers that will come to the home and provide care because kids are working, they've got to hand, handle what they're doing, so they need help, they need extra help. There is a shortage. There's a big shortage and there are multiple reasons for that. You know, we didn't count on all of this care being delivered at home. We kind of moved in the direction that people will go and live in assisted living communities or maybe co-housing communities. And when they're ready, they'll go to the nursing home. But that really, you know, it, it, it doesn't take the place of the family caring for loved ones. And if you ask older adults, 70% of older adults will tell you they want to age in place. They don't want to go to other places. They want to stay where they're comfortable. They want to stay in their homes. What is, and, I'm sorry, what is yep. aging in place? What is that? And Aging in yeah. place is basically living out your years as independently as possible in your own home. So whether that home is an apartment that you rent or a house that you've lived in for many years, you could call home assisted living community if that's where you choose to call home. But it's wherever that older adult feels is their home. And most of the time that means in the family home that they raise their children in and the place that perhaps they were raised in when they were kids. It's, it's allowing people to age as independently as possible by bringing in the helps and the things that might allow them to remain independent for longer. For example, um, delivered meals and uh, transportation help so that they can get to and from the doctor. Perhaps they need help with housekeeping and light duties and things like that. Okay, I, I, I get the difference of aging in place. That, that seems like that's a great thing if you already paid off your home and, and you just wanna stay there until your time is done and, and then have the resources come to the house. So what's the difference between co-housing and assisted living or senior living? So assisted living is an incredible, incredible thing for a lot of people. Um, if, you, if it's the right fit for you, it's an amazing place to be. An assisted living community is basically, and there are different levels to it, but in a very basic sense, in an assisted living community, when someone needs help with the activities of daily living, things mm -hmm. like bathing and eating and dressing and housekeeping and, and the things that we have to do to remain independent in our homes, when that becomes too much for someone, they can choose to go to an assisted living community. And it's basically where they have a room or apartment in a larger community and there is assistance for them to help with some of those things that they can't do on their own daily. Typically meds management is a part of it. Typically um, meals are all cooked and provided for them and there's housekeeping. There is also typically an activities director who oh, wow. will manage all kinds of fun things for people to do. So it's kind of a, a retirement place where people can go to live with one another and, you know, have lots of friends around, have lots of social activities, but also the safety and security of knowing that there's somebody there to help when, when they need it. Okay. Um, so falls are um, more easily prevented and taken care of because they have the right types of grab bars and, and the right facilities in place for them. 
Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Right. So co-housing, on the other hand, is really intended for somebody who's more independent. And co-housing is is something that's been around for a long time, but hasn't really caught hold. I do believe we'll see a lot more of that in the near future. And as a matter of fact, where I live, we have a brand new co-housing building going in very soon. I think they just broke ground on that. But co-housing is where you have a number of individual residences, typically apartments, or they could be townhomes or condos with a shared space um, at the center of the community that allows for people to age independently in their own place, but have the help and support of community. And so Mm -hmm. typically they will use the shared space to do community events and education. Um, Co-housing communities make their own rules about what that community is going to look like and who that community will be made up of. You can find some that are multi-generational, some that are strictly retirement. The one going in my neighborhood is very interesting because it's um, retired older adults who have um, children, adult children who need assistance. Maybe they're developmentally disabled or have some other issues that prevent them from living independently alone. Oh, and so wow. they're building a, commu- a community where they all care for one another. Oh, how brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is it like uh, the co-housing? Is that like the Golden Girls or is it like roommate sharing? What? what what's, I don't know. What's the difference? I, I personally visualize the Golden Girls and I'm hoping that's the one. Look. I love Golden Girls. Gosh, that was a great show. And, yeah. and I love what that represented. And I would say it's a little bit different than that because the okay. Golden Girls lived all in one house. Um, and that would be more of a roommate situation. I do think we're going to see an awful lot more of that as well, where people start to say, hey, you know, it's it's a little bit tough to do this on my own and, and find somebody that they're compatible with. I have heard of some match services. I don't know a lot about them, mm-hmm. um, but I have heard that there are some out there that you could take advantage of and find a match for a roommate. Uh, I think that as a society, we're going to have to be very creative moving forward because right now as it stands, we don't have the capacity to serve all of the baby boomers and the generations that are coming after them in assisted living communities or in nursing homes. And why would we want to? You know, why would we not want to empower people to age exactly how they want to? And if that means aging in their own home, um, I think that's a great thing. That definitely sounds like and plus being surrounded by family, community Mm -hmm. and uh, some some caregivers get paid for taking care of their um, their aging in place uh, relative. How do you get the services that for a person aging in place that is not in a facility? Well, that depends on your community, but there is always a very basic place to start. And where I always encourage people to begin is with your local area agency on aging. Um, That is uh, an organization that every community has created on the federal level and typically funded by the state by federal dollars and also by private donations. Each community's focus is a bit different. Typically, I know my area agency on aging serves a four county uh, area. Um, But basically that is where you're gonna find your area's clearinghouse of what's available. It's a 
good, good, good starting place. Then beyond that, they're going to help connect you with all the social services that are available and any, any governmental programs that are available. That's where you're going to find out about those. But beyond that, in your local community, it's so important to check and see what's there. So you have your chambers of commerce, you have your churches. I always encourage go look online to the church's websites and where you find the websites that have older adult ministries. If they've made a tab for it on their website, they're going to know where the services are. They're serving that demographic well. And so that's another place that you can look. And you can also ask your doctors, you know, ask them for what's available. Another good organization that's a large national organization that can help lead you to your local resources is um, the Alzheimer's Association. That is a fantastic organization with so, so many resources that you can access both in person and virtually, but they have local chapters as well. And those folks on the local level will be connected with people in your community who are doing things, things like Meals on Wheels, um, things like transportation, help to help get them from doctor's appointments and such. Um, Home repairs, that's a big one. That's always a difficult one to find. You know, where do I find congregate dining? You know, perhaps that's something that you're looking for or adult daycare. And every single community is different. And so that's why it's so important to reach locally to see what's there. It might take a little digging. And that's, I think, where people get frustrated. You know, you might call one number that, uh, for example, United Way has a 211 number. Mm -hmm. And it's more robust in some communities than others. And so if you call a number that you got from a referral source and the number is no longer good or they say we don't do that, a lot of people get frustrated and just stop. But I don't want people to do that. You have to keep reaching and keep digging. Those local resources are there. You just have to know where to look. to find it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I totally get that. And thank you for the resources. I really uh, like that uh, agency um, on aging and that's a national and you can find out what's yeah. happening locally. So and I'll it. send you a link um, for elder care locator. That's yes. where you're going to find your own local area agency on aging. I'll send a link so you can include it in your show notes. I appreciate that. That's so awesome. And it'll make a difference out there for uh, folks who are looking at, but I have a question. What's sure. the difference between homemakers and home visits? Because I have an experience with that, unfortunately with my father. Yes you know, who recently passed away, um, he, you know, he would have a, a home visit and we kind of needed a home baker service. Right. Know his wife was extraordinary in uh, managing his stuff, but she had to do a lot of work. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions coming out of the hospital when, when your medical team tells you, we're going to have someone come to the home, you're going to have some home visits. What they mean is they're going to send a home health aid. So the difference being um, home health as opposed to homemaker companion or home care. And it's they're all so confusing. They're, they all sound so similar. But when you're released from the hospital, typically what you're going to get is multiple visits from a home health aide. They're going to check your, your vitals. They're going to change any bandages that need to be changed. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there's some physical therapy that you're going to get depending on what you were in the hospital for. Anything that is 
medically related, that's what a home health care company is going to take care of. And that's typically who you're being referred to when you're released from the hospital. That does not cover somebody to come to the home and sit with a loved one who can't be left alone. Um, It does not cover meal preparation or light housekeeping. It does not cover meds management on the whole. It is strictly what your, the prescription typically is covering a specific piece of what your issues are. So what you were treated for, they're going to send the follow-up to make sure that that stays on track. So whether that's changing bandages or physical therapy or how to use the pump, um, if you have feeding tube or something like that. Yes. So that's that's the difference where Homemaker Companion is a service that they can come out. You can get them by the hour. They can come and do light housekeeping and meal prep and they can drive you around town or take you to the park or Ooh. go to the library or paint your nails. And it's, it's somebody who can help mom and dad stay safely in their home longer with a little bit of supervision or assistance with some of the things that are a little bit too difficult these days. So uh, does Medicare pay for that? No. What? what? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. So so here's- how, how does that work? Where I say earlier in the conversation, we were talking about how we need to adapt as a society. Yes. And part of that is is going to have to be public health policy because in order for people to age in place and to- age in their homes, which by the way, is a whole lot less expensive Mm. than placing people in nursing homes and assisted living communities, a whole lot less expensive for us to assist them in aging in place at home. There is a lot of discussion happening now. I know that our current president has placed this as part of his priority and his agenda. Um, What's going to need to happen is that we're going to have to allow families to make that decision by making it fiscally possible because a homemaker companion service, depending on where you live, is going to cost anywhere from 18 to 25 dollars an hour. Um, it's going to cost higher if you need some very specialized care. For example, someone with Alzheimer's who can't be left alone and needs 24-7 care and is a little bit combative, or there's a lot of lifting that has to happen that needs um, specialized training in the caregiver. Mm. So those situations can make that a little more costly. And so, you know, it's an issue. We don't have enough caregivers in the first place. Yes. To really manage this and those caregivers are not paid very well. Yep. Uh, they typically make anywhere from 10 to $15 an hour, um, which is not a living wage anymore. And so if, you know, if we want to attract people into that profession, we're going to have to make sure that we make it an attractive profession for them to engage in. Wow. Oh, thank you for, uh, you know, clarifying that because, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it important like for it's people to speak it up. It sounds like it's out of pocket basically at this moment. Yeah. It is. And and it, it's not something that's going to go away. <laughs> this right is getting yeah. more yeah. urgent year to year. And, you know, not to make this a political discussion at all, no. um, but it is important for us to voice our concerns to those who represent us because, it's often a forgotten topic. You know, it's kind of on the back burner and we need to put it on the front burner because it will affect all of us in a community because it'll affect our ability as a younger generation. I'm a Gen X. 
So millennials and Gen X and even some Gen Zs now are facing the caregiving dilemma. And if we can't work and go to work and do our jobs and we have to quit to stay home to care for a loved one, you know, it has a ripple effect and it affects us all. So it's a really important topic and and one that we should be paying close attention to. Uh, You know what? What about uh, Medicare? Because um, uh, I don't know. I'm not really clear how it works, but my father could not quite get Medicare. Um, I think that Medicaid. You mean Medicaid? Yeah, I think it's Medicaid. Yes. Uh, yeah. They see how confusing it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was because they said he had too many resources and too much money. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought it was we all had the right and we could get it. You know, the best advice I give people, I think, is to consult with an elder law attorney because oh. you're right. In order to qualify for Medicaid there are qualifications, you know, your, your income and assets have to be in a certain place. Now, Medicare is something everyone can buy into. That's when you turn age 65 and you're eligible to apply for Medicare. Medicare has all kinds of different plans. I call it alphabet soup because it can be very confusing and you can get advantage plans and regular Medicare and the pharmaceutical plan. And you talk about donut holes and all those confusing terms. That's a completely new episode on its own. Okay. But (laughs) Medicaid is the program that provides for older adults and people with disabilities. And so in order to qualify, a lot of people think that they have to spend down. I have to spend everything I have or give it away so that I can qualify for Medicaid so that if I need nursing care or need healthcare in general, that I can qualify for the Medicaid program and be taken care of. But that's not necessarily true and not necessarily a good thing to do because there's a five-year look back on Medicaid. So if you you say, you know, I... I, I'm worried that I'm not going to have enough money to last the rest of my life, but I don't qualify for Medicaid, but I want to. So I'm going to give my kids everything. I'm signing the house over to this kid. I'm going to give this kid cash. I'm going to just divest of everything and give it to my kids. Well, Medicaid looks back five years on all of the gifting that you've done. And so if you've you're in a situation where you're three years in, you've given everything away, and then you go apply for Medicaid, you're in trouble. And that's going to be a bad situation. So if there are any assets to speak of whatsoever, it's important to consult with an elder law attorney and engage in some Medicaid planning. And that is where they can, they know all of the rules, they know exactly how it's supposed to be done. And it's in order to protect the surviving spouse when somebody, you know, so if you, if you spend everything you have on mom or dad's care and the surviving spouse is left for with nothing, then we're in trouble. Then we have something, some things to figure out. And what a good elder law attorney can do is take a look at the assets, help you structure them, help you legally protect the things that are supposed to be protected. And protect the rights of the spouse who still is living life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know all the details. I am not an elder law attorney, but I know that it is a protection that is helpful. We did that with my, my mother and father-in-law and thank God, you know, it was, it was a very good thing 
to make sure that they were both taking care of the rest of their lives and neither one of them left with nothing. And both had very serious medical problems and costly medical problems. And by by doing that, we were able to protect the longevity of their assets to take care of them throughout their lives and not be a burden on the families or society or anyone else. And, and that's that was the case. Extraordinary, wow, that is uh, a great example of how elder care uh, attorney can make a difference. Yeah, I don't think- They can, it's important and yeah. we, we don't know. I mean, we always should default to the professionals in many areas of our lives. You know, I would never try to diagnose myself with anything. I'm gonna go see the doctor because that's yeah. what they do. Yeah. And the same with, a, with an elder law attorney, they're there to help you plan for your later years. They, their, their mission is to make sure that your later years are as secure as possible in every way, not just in assets and not just money things, but in every way, making sure that your families are provided for, making sure that you are protected and that the things that you want out of your life are what come to fruition. So making sure all of your documents are in place and your will and um, your power of attorney and all of those things. So if you haven't done that, it's a great idea to do that. Even 18 year olds who are now out of mom and dad's house should have some basic documents in place because if an accident happens while they're away at school, their wishes need to be known and power attorneys should be in place. Uh, fair to say. That is fair to say. Well, are there any policies that are that you, 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 you know offhand um, that are coming down uh, regarding uh, aging and elder? I know that, the, like you said, the current president is, um, you know, he's keeping an eye on it because he is an older President. He is. And I, I so appreciate his focus in this area. It can be difficult to get the attention of our lawmakers and our leaders. And I can say in my local community, we do have the attention of our city administration and of our mayor and of our city commission and county commission. They are paying attention to those things. And I think that is wholly due to advocacy on the part of people who live here. You know, oh, citizens saying, hey, this is an important thing. And I'm, AARP is very active in advocacy. Yes. And I would say, as it relates to policy discussions, mm -hmm. I will defer to AARP and refer you to their website to find out the latest because I am not well versed enough to do it to tell you properly what's going on. Things change on a day-to-day -day basis. But I will say that I'm pleased that at the national level, this is part of the discussion that's happening right now. And I think that people are starting to I to be aware of what's coming, especially given the last year and a half and yes. struggles that we saw come to the light. I think that scared a few people and said, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> we've got to do something about we this. Gotta get ready. Get stop this train from rolling. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as caregivers, how can you help a caregiver? Because, you know, my stepmother at the time, she was my father's caregiver and she really was like, did a stellar job. I mean, literally it became her, her job from, you know, talking to doctors to doing the physical cleaning and the, the house besides him, you know, and, and to, to the, to excellence, like to the level of excellence. And then she got, she was burnt out, like truly burnt out. And I'm like, you still had to, you know, like, you know, you still had to. And 
even though there was family members to help, couldn't quite, they were not, we were not clear what actions could we take, even if we asked. So how does that work? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that question because I'll reiterate what you said in that caregiving is one of the most difficult things you will ever do. It will challenge you in ways that you have never imagined. Mm -hmm. It will also provide you some incredible inspiration and opportunity to take your relationship with your loved one to another level. Um, that's another conversation and that, but that's a, that's such a positive and beautiful piece of it. But as it relates to the caregiver, their day to day, their world is turned upside down. And not only do they have to take care of themselves, they might also be taking care of children and their own household. If they are not living with their loved one, then they're taking care of two households and trying to manage it all and make it all happen and get the bills paid and make sure mom is is safe and that her home is safe for her so that she won't fall and that her meds are being managed and that, you know, all of the things, just everything, meal preparation, laundry, shopping, all of the things that people have to do on a day-to-day basis, the caregivers are doing it all sometimes times too. And so when you consider that, if you think of the things that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis, mow the lawn. So we have to sacrifice a couple hours on a Saturday to go out and mow the lawn. Well, to them, that's a big deal. Um, Meal preparation. Um, that's something that's so easy to do to prepare double of what you're preparing and go put it in the fridge with heating instructions on the top so that all they have to do is pop it in the microwave. You can even portion out into individual portions and make it even easier. Um, I, I always encourage caregivers to create a list, a list of the things that you do on a day-to-day basis, whether that's cleaning the bathroom, doing the laundry, taking the trash out, taking the dog for a nice long walk, um, any of the things that might be helpful that anybody could reach in and quickly help you with, make a list of those things. And when somebody says to you, how can I help? Then you're gonna give them that list or text them that list or email them that list. Because that's an overwhelming question. If you ask a caregiver, oh my goodness, I know you're working so hard. How can I help you? You've just handed them another task (laughs) to figure out how, you know, how can I help you? And I think you experienced that in your family too, because you said, how can I help you? But that is a really overwhelming question because you just don't know. When you're a caregiver, you are walking day to day in your life, just trying to figure it out as you go. And you know, it, you might not take a shower that day because your loved yeah. one needs some assistance and you might not eat anything more than a Pop-Tart because it was the quickest thing that you could grab. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that people on the outside could easily help with. And they don't realize that those teeny tiny little things are the things that are going to make a difference. You know, have groceries shipped via um, one of the yes. mobile apps yes. so that they don't have to entertain you as a visitor. You know, that's that's a beauty in all of the delivery options that we have now, because when somebody comes to the home, they want to entertain you and they're going to do their best to entertain you. But if you can just remotely lend a helping hand, that's a great thing. And another great thing and probably one of the biggest is to call and say, hey, 
I'd love to come over and visit with your mom for an hour on Sunday. And why don't you go grab a cup of coffee or go take a walk in the park while I'm there? Maybe I'll come and bring nail polish and paint her nails. Wow. Yeah. Those are the things, those little breaks so that the caregiver can get some time for self-care. Maybe it's just a long bubble bath or a cup of tea on the back patio uninterrupted. Wow. Those are the Mm -hmm. That is awesome. Thank you. You've given such good, uh, you know, helpful resources and things. How can people get a hold of you? Well, I am very easy to find. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram at Sage Aging, or you can also find me through Polk Elder Care, which is our uh resource guide. PolkElderCare.com is the website. And that resource, although it is directly intended for one community, the information in the pages of that website are applicable everywhere. So go and take that information in. It's going to give you a really good basic knowledge of all of the pieces of elder care. So assisted living, nursing home, home care, hospice, what are all of those things? That's a great place to kind of get a good basic knowledge and figure out where to begin your your own journey. So I'll also send you links for uh, my email address. I am a very open book. If there's anybody that's listening to this, who is trying to find resources in your community, please reach out. I'm happy to help you find them regardless of whether or not you're in my community or somewhere else. Thank you so much, Liz. It has been my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And I look forward to uh, possibly having you back in a different area. There seems to be still more subjects we could tap into. Oh, yes, absolutely. Anytime. I'm happy to. Cheers. It's tea time. Midlife Edition.